0: You're listening to the Keefe to the City Podcast. Voice is right. For the last three years, the American League has been about the Yankees and Astros, outside of really the one f- miracle, fluky Red Sox season. Uh, and once again, next year is going to be about the Yankees and Astros as well. Uh, in the last three years, we've got two ALCS meetings between the two, 13 postseason games, uh, the battle to trade for Justin Verlander and Garrett Cole, all of which the Astros won. Um, and now with Cole signing with the Yankees, it's almost like the Yankees signed two starting pitchers because they take Cole out of the Astros' rotation, put him in the Yankees' rotation. Um, and he could easily swing what could be another ALCS meeting this upcoming season. The Yankees fans know how good Garrett Cole is. They've seen him firsthand, uh, but I thought it made sense to talk to someone who's covered him extensively to find out what kind of person he is, what kind of teammate he is, as well as check in on the Astros' sort of odd offseason where they have rumored to possibly be looking to move Carlos Correa, where they haven't added any free agent starting pitchers, haven't really added any free agents at all, except for bringing back Joe Smith and Martin Maldonado, um, and also. Also, this whole sign-stealing situation, which continues to hover around the team with penalties expected to be handed out any day now. So Chandler Roan, the Astros beat writer for the Houston Chronicle, Join me on the podcast to talk about all things Astros this offseason. So here we go. Joining me today to talk about the Astros and their offseason is Chandler Roan, the Astros beat, re- beat writer for the Houston Chronicle. Chandler, how's it going today? I'm
1: doing well. How are you, man?
0: I'm doing well. Thanks for taking the time to come on. I know it's uh, it's been sort of a hectic, chaotic offseason for the Astros following uh, the World Series loss and then all the sign stealing. Um, but, you know, just to get into it, the ALCS law, uh, loss for the Yankees, I know, uh, you know, Yankees fans like myself and everyone in the Northeast still isn't over that, still has nightmares and visions of the Jose Altuve bomb off of Aldous Chapman to end that ALCS. Um, and, and you look at what happened after that with the Astros going to the World Series, having a 3-2 series lead, going home for Game 6 and 7, sort of like what happened to the ALCS against the Yankees a couple years ago. Uh, what's the state of uh, you know the Astros fans down in Houston? Is it still a state of shock to go home leading the series and not be able to close the deal in either of Game 6 and 7?
1: We have to remember, not only did they come home leading the series, they came home with Justin Verlander scheduled to pitch game six and Zach Greinke scheduled to pitch game seven, and they played at home and didn't win either game. Um, it, it, it still kind of boggles the mind. You, you, you wonder how that happens, and then you just kind of remember that that's baseball. Um, that's why they play the game. Um, I think the, the tenor of this offseason is really uh, – it's been a lot of apprehension and a lot of um, kind of unknown – just given the, uh, given the investigation that's kind of clouded the organization, um, people within the organization that they're trying to act as if everything's normal, um, but but there is a but there is a uh, there's a clear and there's a palpable tension just within the city within the fan base. I think everyone's just kind of, for lack of a better word, waiting on pins and needles until Major League Baseball releases its investigation findings and in the discipline. Um, I've heard that's going to come. Um, within the next couple of days. Um, maybe, I mean, we're talking on Thursday, January 9th. I wouldn't be surprised if by next week we have a a ruling and some discipline levied out. So I think we'll have a far better, um, we'll have a far better knowledge and we'll have a far better, um, grasp on where the Astros go from here after that's released, but they've done very little this off season. Um, Granted, they return eight of nine everyday position players, and they return Zach Greinke and Justin Verlander at the top of the rotation. So they didn't need to do a whole lot to to really bolster their roster. But even by those standards, they really have sort of underwhelmed this offseason in player acquisition. They've re-signed uh, Joe Smith in the bullpen. They re-signed Martin Maldonado as their catcher. Um, but they did watch Will Harris go sign with the Nats, and then, of course, Garrett Cole, signed the record-breaking deal with the Yankees. I don't think there was ever any thought that Garrett Cole was going to come back to Houston, especially for that kind of money. Um, but still, um, they've got to they've got to find a way to address that, and they've got to find a way to to keep going. And I think you know, starting off by returning what they return is good, but they've got to make some marginal uh, they've got to make some marginal additions to their roster.
0: When it comes to Garrett Cole, he's sort of the the elusive guy, the Yankees chase. They drafted him. He went to UCLA. They tried to trade for him, and they unsuccessfully did that before he goes to the Astros. So they finally get him, and it takes, like you said, nine years and $324 million, a record-breaking deal. Um, And we've heard the the, the deals, or or rather the offers that the Dodgers put out there, the Angels put out there. I know you just mentioned that it didn't really seem like Cole would return to the Astros, but were they ever really seriously even part of the bidding process at the winter meetings or leading up to it?
1: No. Um, Jeff Luno had a conversation with Scott Boris, um, and Scott laid out what they were seeking, and Jeff Luno knew that the Astros couldn't play in that ballpark. Um, I will say, Garrett Cole was open to coming back to Houston, um, but I don't think Houston reciprocated his um, – because of, because of financially. I mean, there are only a few teams that could have made that deal work. And the Astros, with their payroll like it is right now, um, with the amount of money they're paying Verlander, Granke, Altuve, and Bregman – Um, It it just wouldn't have worked with their payroll structure right now. Um, And given that they don't want to cross that second luxury tax threshold, that sort of deal just wouldn't have worked for them. Um, So, no, I I don't think the Astros were ever seriously in um, contention. I think the only thing that you can point to that they seriously were in contention, they offered him a qualifying offer. And and that was nothing but a formality. They made sure they got a draft pick if and when he signed somewhere else. So, no, the Astros were never seriously in on Garrett Cole.
0: Well, going back now to 2017, it's been Yankees-Astros the last three years, aside from the one magical, miracle, fluky season the Red Sox uh, had two years ago, but now, I mean, everyone expects it to be the Yankees and Astros once again next season, right there, you know, most likely meeting again in the ALCS, and the Yankees' ability to go out and finally get Cole is almost like a two-pitcher swing in the sense that they take him away from the Astros and put him in their rotation, which could easily swing the ALCS going forward. Um, you know, what type of pitch, you know, I know what type of pitcher we're getting, actually, as the Yankees fans, but what type of player and teammate are the Yankees getting as, you know, someone who covered Cole throughout last season and in the season before?
1: Yeah, Garrett Cole is probably one of my favorite people to talk to in the Astros clubhouse. He's... He's one of the smarter human beings you'll ever encounter. Um, you know, everybody kind of got. Um, he everybody would always want to talk with him about free agency, and he always would say, "I'm not thinking." And I'm not thinking about free agency right now. Well, when you hear that, you always think it's kind of cliche. That's just what players say to get us off their back. But this is a guy that doesn't speak and doesn't you know give interviews unless he's really thought about something and unless he's um, really put the time and effort into knowing what he's going to say. He's very conscientious. He's one of the hard... I mean, obviously when you get paid that amount of money and when you're that good at your job, you're going to be a hard worker, but Cole kind of takes it to the next level. He is as prepared and as um, on top of things as probably any pitcher in baseball, and he learned a lot of that. He got some tips from Justin Verlander in the Astros clubhouse. Um, The one thing I think he's been very good at is he's been able to take a little bit from a lot of different pitchers and coaches he's encountered. You know, he played with Dallas Keuchel in 2018. I don't know if you can go to more different pitchers than Dallas Keuchel and Garrett Cole. You know, Keuchel obviously is kind of a softer tossing left-hander that wants contact, and Cole's going to throw 100 miles an hour at the top of the zone. Um, but but he took things from from Dallas Keuchel. Same thing when Zach Greinke came over um, this July. So, I mean, obviously, you know what sort of repertoire he has. I mean, his fastball is one of the best in the game. It's going to hop and ride and, you know, can reach 100 when he's got to. Um, you know, he, he, his off speed stuff's unbelievable. But I think that the two biggest things about him are A, his conscientiousness and how prepared he is. And then B, I think with what, um, where he shines the most is at the end of his outing. Um, I don't have the exact stat in front of me, but I think there was a point in the season where he reached the seventh inning like 33 times and had not allowed a run in the seventh inning or a hit in the seventh inning. I mean, it was unbelievable what he was able to do in the seventh and eighth inning on. Um, And that just shows what he's able to keep in the tank. You know, the most of the times he hits 100 miles an hour or in the seventh and eighth inning when he's emptying the tank and he's ready to go. The fact that he can conserve energy and keep it stored and compartmentalized the way he does, he's a marvel to watch. And he's really, really good. And um, he was, I mean, he was worth every penny the Yankees gave, him, in my opinion.
0: Well, the lasting image of him in an Astros uniform will be him sitting in the bullpen waiting to come into the Game 7 that he never came into. And it's it, to me, it's right up there with Joe Torre's decision not to bring in Mariano, uh, going with Jeff Weaver in extra innings in the 2003 World Series, which uh, swung that series in the Marlins' favor. But you look at the, all the adjustments A.J. Hinch was able to make two years ago when they played the Yankees in the playoffs, uh, You know, going away from his actual relievers after Game 5 and going to starters for the rest of the postseason um, as his relievers to the World Series champion um and to see him make such an egregious mistake i know that the taking cranky out early could be second guessed uh he was at 80 pitches he did just give up a home run and a walk but to have cole sitting out there and never turn to him go to will harris who had been so good all year but had blown the, you know or really opened up the game the night before uh when you look back on it uh do you you know are you in the, supporting Hinch and his decision to stick with relievers who are used to relieving or was it a mistake to not bring cole into that game
1: I think Cole should have pitched. Um, I don't have a problem though with how AJ managed the seventh inning. Um, I think I would I could probably debate on whether he should have taken Zach Greinke out when he did, but I have no problem going to Will Harris right there uh, against Howie Kendrick. That had been your best reliever all year. Um, he had been the guy that um, before, like you mentioned, the, the day before in, in Game Six, he had had a little bit of an issue, but before that, he had been he had not been scored upon the entire postseason. Um, this was a guy that had the lowest ERA in the American League among relievers. This was unquestionably your best reliever doing what you had asked him to do for seven months, which is come in and get you out of a jam. And then I think if you look at that pitch he threw to Howie Kendrick, he executed that pitch as well as he could execute it. That, that was just a, a, a great piece of hitting by Howie Kendrick, and that's just baseball sometimes. You kind of have to tip your hat that that Kendrick hit a pitch that, Normal people don't hit, and he hit it to, and he hit it to the opposite field, and hit it <laughs> off the south pole, and I mean that's just. That, that, I think Will Harris said it best after the game. He said this after Game Seven, and then he said it when he signed with the Nats uh, last week. He said, "That's a championship play by a championship player for a championship team, and sometimes you just get beat." And so I don't have a problem with the seventh. I do think Garrett Cole should have pitched at some point. Um, I, I, I think um, the explanation that. He was only going to be on the mound if they had a chance to win the World Series. Well, they ha- would have had a chance in the eighth inning when you're only up by when you're only down a run in the eighth inning. Um, I, I think you probably should have started the eighth inning with Garrett Cole. But that's just my opinion. Um, I, I don't know. Um, it, it certainly will leave. It'll certainly be one of those things that's debated long past um, this year. It'll be one of those things that no matter how many titles the Astros win in this window they have open if they win anymore you know people always debate that decision Um, it's fun what ifs um, but again I I really didn't have I guess from my vantage point I didn't have much of a problem with how he managed the 7th inning but I do agree Cole should have pitched in that game
0: I think the most surprising thing to come out of this offseason for the Ashes was the, the reports flying around about a month ago of Carlos Correa potentially being traded uh, for payroll flexibility going forward. And, and the idea that maybe they could attach Josh Reddick's contract to a deal with Correa um, and get rid of his $13 million salary. Is there, you know, from your perspective, is there any truth to them really thinking about moving Correa? It just seems to me like you just mentioned this current window and that would, uh, you know, if anything, put a dent in it by taking away one of the game's premier shortstops.
1: Well, I think I think fan sentiment toward Carlos Correa has really soured just given that he hasn't been able to play. I mean, he hasn't played. He hasn't played more than 100 games uh, in, in three years. Um, this is a guy that, that can't stay healthy. Um, and that, given with the way some of his injuries have occurred, you know, he had the massage last year where he broke his rib, and that cost him 50 games. You know, it's, it, he's got back issues that um, when you're a 24-year-old with back issues, it's not great. Um, so – I think I think the fan sentiments for him is kind of soured but I think people fail to realize that when he is right and when he is like playing at the top of his level he's one of the best players in baseball um, you know the trade rumors you know Jeff Luno said at the winter meetings when the rumors came out he said that he did not see them moving one of their core players He said it'd be very difficult to envision them moving one of their core players now that's not an outright denial um, but you know I, I don't I don't foresee that being an immediate thing but it's something that I could consider uh, something that, that is reasonable and something that could very well occur but maybe what you want maybe what, maybe what you look at is the return you're getting too because I mean whoever gets Carlos Correa is going to have two more years of control this is the second year of our eligibility He's, they're going to have two years of control of Carlos Correa you're going to have to get something huge back for that because like I said people kind of fail to realize that this is one of the premier players in baseball um, when he's healthy and when he's right, and some team, if they do, uh, they do decide to trade him. Some team's gonna have to put faith in that he can stay healthy, and you know other teams can read medical reports. Other teams know, and other teams are aware that Carlos Correa is injury prone. So I'm not sure if that affects his trade value or not. But you mentioned Reddick. I think that is probably the more immediate. Want is to move Josh Reddick, but that thirteen million dollars is going to be really hard to convince a team to pay Josh Reddick thirteen million dollars for the production he's had in the last two years. He's been a below average defensive, uh, below average offensive player. He was a Gold Glove finalist last year, but you know that doesn't really make up for he, he he's not producing at a level um, that other outfielders do. And the Astros have Kyle Tucker. Uh, uh, he exceeded his rookie status last year, but he's a guy that. Um, he's a guy that they like a lot and he's one of their young players that he's cheaper and he's a guy that's part of their future and he's going to have to battle with Reddick for playing time this spring. And so you wonder if at the deadline, at the trade deadline if the Astros explore moving Josh Reddick or even later in the soft season if the Astros explore moving Josh Reddick, but they're going to have to pay down a significant amount of that salary because I can't imagine many teams are going to want to pay Josh Reddick that amount of money for the production that he's given the last two years.
0: Well, with Cole gone, they still have a great one-two punch with Verlander and Grinke. Though both will be thirty-seven for this entire upcoming season. Lance McCullers Jr. is coming back off uh, Tommy John surgery, and historically, it takes you know up to at least a season for pitchers to really gain, you know, go back to their former selves, get back to their uh, old ways on the mound. Um, and then after that, I guess the fourth and fifth rotation spots are, are really up in the air, and it seems kind of crazy going back to the deadline and how everyone just sort of assumed the, the Astros would get to the World Series and win it. And now their rotation is sort of in this state of disarray, not only because Cole's leaving, but because really the back end, uh, you know, what is it going to look like?
1: Uh, so the, they have Lance McCullers Jr. coming back, and he'll and he'll pitch. But the, real, the, the wonder with him is, you know, he had Tommy John surgery and was out all of last year usually these guys that come back from Tommy John are on innings limits. And, and Jeff Luno has already kind of put a number out there of 120 innings would be the number that the Astros would feel comfortable um, with McCullers throwing. Now, I would say that, and I will give, I'll give, present to you Jose Urquidy from last year. Jose Urquidy was in the exact same situation as Lance McCullers. He came off Tommy John surgery and returned last year. The Astros had an innings limit set for him, too and he exceeded it by 40 innings because he felt good. And he was a guy that obviously started Game 5 of the World Series and pitched very, very well. He's a a rookie that they're going to count on to throw a lot of innings this year as their fourth starter. So um, I think a lot of it will depend on how Lance McCullers feels um, as he goes throughout the season. We know he's got one of the best breaking balls in baseball. Um, He's a guy that has proven that he can win at the Major League level as an All-Star in 2016. So... Um, they're going to have to rely on him and see how he feels and hope he can exceed that, you know, that prescribed innings limit that the Astros may have him on and um, see if he can rebound. See if he can have a nice showing post Tommy John. But you know, they'll have McCullers, they'll have Rakiti, and then the fifth starter is anybody's guess. Um, they're going to go to the spring training and stretch Josh James out as a starter. He's a guy with a hundred mile an hour fastball, but his control is not great. Um, they have top prospect Forrest Whitley who's had two really lost years in the minors the last two years has not pitched well at all um, but you know both years he's gone to the Arizona Fall League and really shown out very well so he'll have an opportunity in spring to, to make his major league debut. They have a couple of young Latin arms that they're really excited about. Foremost among them is Christian Javier, a guy that really impressed last year, kind of had a breakout year in Double A AA and A last year for the Astros so uh, and then they have Brad Peacock as well, who started games for them. Um, he kind of can do everything. They can put him in the bullpen as a setup guy. He can start games they can do. But the Astros are still clearly in need of one veteran guy who can eat innings. And I don't know who that is because a lot of them have been signed and taken up already, but they need a guy that they can rely on to throw about 160, 170 innings. And I'm not saying, you know, pitch to a sub-3 ERA. They just need a guy that can eat some innings because – there's a lot of uncertainty, like we said, with McCullers at his innings limit. Rikidi's still a rookie um, in that fourth spot, so you can't really expect him to – To uh, you don't want to go into a season expecting him to kind of outperform his, his class. And then, uh, like we said, the fifth starter is really anybody's guess. So um, I, I think um, the Astros certainly need another pitcher. They need another starter, whether that's a guy that they – I don't know, minor league invite to come to spring training um, and, you know, work his way onto the club. That's one. Or whether they go out and take a flyer on a veteran guy on a one year cheap deal. um, That's another, that's another avenue as well. But certainly they're going to need another starting pitcher, be it a guy internally or going to get a guy
0: externally. And you mentioned earlier the, the whole side and stealing issue, the whole situation and the penalties expected uh, any day now. Um, there's really no precedent for this aside from the Red Sox Apple Watch issue a couple of years ago, but um, the, the videos are out there of the trash can or the noise being hit um, before breaking balls and such. W- what do you expect this penalty to end up being for the Ashes? What do you think they, they could potentially be looking at uh, for a fine or is it Hinch you know, losing the entire season? What do you think?
1: Yeah, I'm not gonna make any guesses because I've heard about 20 different iterations of what it could be, and like I was, I was out with some people last night, and I, they're people I trust, and I heard, you know, three different, three different iterations of what it could be from three different people. So I'm just not until the emails in my inbox, you know, <laughs> stating the stating the punishment. I'm not going to make any guesses, but I will say that you know, under what Rob Manfred when he when he punished the Red Sox in 2017, he said that. Um, they're subject to loss of draft picks. They're subject to loss of international bonus pool money and they're subject to fines. And I would imagine that the Astros would be subject to all three of those things. And um, given the comments that Rob Manford has made since then, um, he's gone on record saying that he has the power to, you know, fine people more than what's in the major league constitution. He's got the power to. Kind of be bigger than Major League Baseball and what the rules set as you know limitations for fines and things like that. So I would expect it to be a heavy-handed penalty. I don't know if it'll contain suspensions. A lot of a lot of rumors and a lot of speculation is that it will. Um, and um, you know the Ashers will have to to combat that. But I think though, and I will add this just as as an aside, you know. I don't know how much this latest at this latest story about the Red Sox in the athletic is going to affect it because I think we all knew this, but I think it's just kind of more further proof that the Astros were certainly not the only team, um, you know, using that electronic sign stealing to their advantage. I I certainly don't think that they were alone in that. They certainly were egregious in the methods that they did it, but whether that new Red Sox story, you know, affects how the commissioner views the Astros remains to be seen. But um, I I do know that a lot of people in the organization kind of want this to be over with. They just kind of want the punishment to come out and kind of move on.
0: And, and lastly, uh, earlier you also mentioned the, the term of the championship window the Astros getting one two years ago. They, they could have easily had three in a row if a couple things go their way. Uh, now with the loss of Cole, uh, maybe these penalties or, or the sign-stealing you know, I- issue comes into play, but what do you think they're looking at for the length of this current window? Uh, you know, it, when it opened, it seemed like it would be forever, but now three years in, how many more years do you think they have of really being a true powerhouse you know, top three team in the AL?
1: I mean, I guess I guess it's going to depend on the, the if the sanctions are as heavy handed as a lot of people assume they're going to be. Then maybe it could shrink it a little bit. But you got to remember that they have Justin Verlander under team control for the next two years. They have Zach Greinke under team control for the next two years. They have both Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman locked up through twenty twenty four. Their entire outfield is going to be a free agent after next year. But they've got guys in the farm that they like. So. In the short term, I'm not sure that it'll affect too much, but you know, long term, you know, if they lose some draft picks and you know, they really gutted their farm system to trade for Zach Greinke last year. Um, they traded uh, four of their really coveted prospects, probably the biggest haul of prospects Jeff Winow' has ever parted with as Astros GM. So that left their farm system pretty depleted. Um, and I think what bears watching going forward is how they, this this next wave of prospects, how they develop and how they, you know, how quickly are they ready to either be part of a trade to get somebody or to come contribute to the Astros at the, at the major league level. I think that bears watching far more than kind of what's on the major league side right now, because at the major league level right now, they're fine. And I think they will be fine for, for this coming year and next year, but, um, it's going to be up to a lot of these unknown prospects that are suddenly, um, kind of thrust into much bigger roles in their farm system because they depleted it to get Zach Grinky last year.
0: And we're about you know a little over two months uh, separated from last baseball season. Um, we still got about six weeks to go till spring training. And I know the weather in Houston isn't as unbearable as it is in the Northeast. But uh, what, at what point do you start looking forward to getting to Florida to getting to spring training and getting things going?
1: I don't think anyone ever looks forward to going to spring training because <laughs> it's it's just. It's just six monotonous weeks of nothing to be honest with you I mean the games don't matter um, and it's just it gets really boring but I mean as of but this 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 one will have obviously a lot more questions just given the obviously given the the, the sign ceiling stuff nobody no players have really extensively commented on it um, and then you know if we get there and there's some suspensions being handed out then you know you have to deal with that so there, there'll be actually a lot more things to look at and cover and that'll be interesting Thing in this Astros spring training, but uh, I try to take as much off and downtime as possible. So, to be honest with you, I fly to spring training on February 11th. I'll probably start thinking about going to West Palm on February 10th.
0: <laughs> All right, Chandler. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to come on and talk about the Astros. Um, you know, looking forward to baseball getting back in the next couple months. And uh, we'll have to check in during the season and, and see how things are going.
1: All right. Thanks, man.
0: All right, thank you again to Chandler for taking the time to come on the podcast and talk about the Astros. A lot going on there. A lot of it affects the Yankees because it affects their eventual goal of getting back to the World Series and winning the World Series, and they're most likely going to have to go through the Astros to do it. So it's good to check in and hear about the Yankees' biggest competition to win the American League coming up next season. That'll do it for today. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back on Monday.